There's a place some of us go each fall, a place where the ring of a bell filters through the covers, and hurried shouts of bird up bring everybody to attention, a place where the playful puppies around our house are transformed here to driven bird finders, and where there is confidence in the slow pace of the silver-muzzled old veterans where our friends tell the same old stories each year, and none of us seem to mind. Where great shots are forgotten, and epic misses never fade. Where an old gun will have a story to tell, if only it could speak to us. Where all the good seats are claimed by the dogs. If you have a camp, you know these things all too well. And if you don't, well, you're always welcome here. So pull up a chair, tell us about your favorite gunner dog, and we'll admire the birds together and talk the night away by the fire. Welcome to Bird Camp. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bird Camp podcast. We have a guest today, an author here from Michigan, one who lives the sporting life and tries to tell us about it in words on a page, uh, John Osborne. Welcome to the Bird Camp Podcast and the Covey. Yeah, Joe, thanks for having me on and inviting me into camp. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Um, so, why don't we sit down? We'll, uh, like most conversations in camp go, uh, let's start out with a drink. What are you having? Well, I just poured myself a glass of uh, Rowan's Creek. Have you ever heard of that one? I haven't, actually. So, as far as I know, they only... You can only get it in Kentucky. Um, so when I either if I go down to Kentucky or I have a friend going down there, um, I make sure that we get a few bottles coming back up here because I like it that much. But great bang for your buck bourbon that you don't find a lot around here. So that kind of adds to the allure. So that's what I'm having. What are you having? I got a little adventurous. I went into a store, well, on 28th Street in the Christmas season. So that's an adventure by itself. I ended up yeah. in a in a, a big emporium of beverages and this is a high west double rye it's a blend actually oh. which normally i'm a single malt or a something a little different but uh, this has been really quite good good to know yeah priced hmm. priced well drinks very nicely um, nice uh, that's that's the target, right? It's not yeah. always the it's not always <laughs> the end result, but that's the target anyway. My my budget cuts are nicely priced and drinks well. They uh, sure, <laughs> especially the nicely priced lately. But uh, right, yeah. Every they, now and then you treat yourself to something better, but <laughs> right. Yep, I yeah. bring I bring my one expensive expenditure to camp. Um, so do the other guys, and then we kind of all share and share alike and. That works out pretty good. So Yeah. We're celebrating. Mm-hmm. So have what kind of camp do you belong to? Have you been to a bird camp? Ooh, I have a couple bird camps that I would not miss for the world every year. Uh one's one is with some guys from work and um then I have another one from with some guys from high school. Um just kind of been a long standing camp. Some of those guys I've known for you know, 43, 44 years now. Um, so yeah, I mean, neither one is better than the other, but it's just, you know, it's, it's like you, I'm sure you look forward to it all year long and you wouldn't miss it for the world. 
I'm I am right there on that one. Um, the invitations of hey, why don't you come on out west? Or do you ever think about going west? And then I think about I would have to lose some portion of up north. I'm like, you know, it's just hard to give up the the grouse and the woodcock. To Not go. to mention, you'd never live it down with the guys that you normally went with, right? I know. Some, well, some of them have been asking, like, hey, you want to just do this instead a little bit? And I'm okay. like, you know, I like trees a lot more than I like grass. Now, sure. I, I do like to go. I would still want to go. I just don't want to give up what I have for a different color bird. I'm that that's I I'm too much of a homer at this point. Yeah. To give something up to try something new, no matter how well, spectacular it might be. And let's be honest, you know, if we if we could pull bird camp from, you know, the middle of September through at least the middle of December, if not a little bit longer, we would do it. But other things vie for the attention. Maybe yep. in the hereafter that's gonna be like a, a three hundred and sixty five degree um 365 day proposition but for now we just do the best that we can with time we can steal away right yep and i i have been out to iowa once and i vowed i will go back again like like general macarthur i will return and stuff (laughs) has just gotten in my way that's almost as formidable as the japanese navy yep maybe next year yep there's always next year so yeah but uh the great perhaps (laughs) <laughs> what uh what about it i know i have written down here intangibles and i know we've talked about this a couple times now um what is it that you find the most not just in the camp but overall in this in the fall especially now with with i know the way you write and the way the people you've rubbed elbows write um and you paint a very magical place what what are these intangibles and how, how is it best to describe some of them? Oh yeah. So I think, I mean, you, you nailed it in your, in your um, intro about you're always chasing the experience and, and not necessarily what you're not always going to have that epic experience. In fact, that's going to be probably pretty seldom that you have an epic experience, but I think you're chasing the memories of, of past camps and um, feelings that you had at those times, you never quite get that exact same scenario again, but you're always kind of chasing it. I think um, you're chasing the great, perhaps. So there's, there's, there's an allure out there, like something else that's going to happen that you're not quite sure what it is yet. And then I have to be really careful to just live in the moment too, uh, because that's just great. So it's all the camaraderie of the friendship and, and, uh, you know, the dog work and, and checking out the shotguns. And, um, you know, we were just talking about the bourbon, like celebrating a good bourbon, celebrating a good cigar or pipe and, um, maybe some good music and, um, late nights, maybe a little bit of a hangover. Um, and, and sometimes some really good nights of laughter and some tears and just a lot that can happen. A lot of truths come out in in situations like that. So that's a lot to chase. Right. Right. And I, uh, and I know a lot of the, a lot of this is going to come back to, you know, it's not all about getting the bird in the bag and things like that. Um, I always find myself in a juxtaposition on that one because I like to cook so much that at a certain point I'm like, you know, I know that the, I've, I've learned to say, you know what, today the birds just won and it's <laughs> good for them. And I'm glad that they are still that, 
that worthy opponent um, because it is, in a way, a contest of their instincts versus my skill, and sometimes I lose. Um, but I sure like that idea that, you know, you get one or two in the bag, and you're like, okay, this can continue into that next step, and that appreciation can go one one little bit further, you know, but trying not to make it just about I have to kill one today. Just Yeah, exactly. I mean, and there's always – you're similar to me in that um, – you might be out for a grouse and woodcock, for example, but you always have the wood ducks that you shot earlier in the week, or you always have the venison that you probably are going to shoot a month from then. And um, so you can flip flop between those, those meals um, and you can always make a grand event out of it. I mean, nothing I hate more than, and nothing against anyone who wants to do this, but you know, I don't want to take something that I worked so hard for and have so many emotions wrapped up in and just cube it up and throw it in with cream and mushroom soup and, and be done with it. You know, I want to make something special out of it. I want to make an event and, um, you know, really, like you said, enjoy not only the hunt, but relive the hunt afterward through the meal and, and after the meal and everything that goes with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of, I, I don't quite have a crusade against it per se, but the, if I'm going to wrap it in bacon, it has to be strong enough flavored to compete against bacon. Sure. You know, right. I, you'll never see me wrapping a pheasant or a grouse. Um, now, goose, woodcock, duck, those have a good flavor to them to begin with, where if I wanted to try something that needed some bacon just because the recipe says so or for some sure. reason, I could go that route. But I always find it kind of cheating. Like if I have to wrap meat in another meat, <laughs> I maybe did something wrong. Um, and I found I really don't need to, other than some days I'm going to add more of a good thing to a good thing. Um, and I do that with my goose rolls. Those, those get bacon because you can burn the bacon and the goose is perfect. So exactly. <laughs> right. It's can, gotta be, yeah. it's gotta be a, it's gotta be something that's going to complement the meat versus hide it. Um, yep. I and... do have a lot of ways of hiding it. Sure. <laughs> There's entire recipe books out there published by every Presbyterian ladies club from the 50s <laughs> to the 90s. And uh, there's an MUCC one even floating around here where if it's a red meat and you shot it, it gets soaked like for 17 days in buttermilk before you do something with it. And eventually you just lick the bowl out and throw away the meat. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I shake my head at these because every now and then I get one given to me as a gift or something. You'd like this book. And I look at it and I'm like, no, no, roast for four hours in a, uh, no, no, nope, nope, not, not doing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Other well, than their buddy, collector value and their, sometimes their comedic value. Exactly. I mean, a, a buddy of mine always says like, if, if I have to make wild game taste like something other than wild game, then come over next week when I'm making chicken. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. There's a, yeah, the, the gaminess pops up a lot in conversation. Right. And uh, we had that with a fellow in camp. Woodcock are always so gamey. I mean, I just, how do you, okay, eat this one. Man, that's pretty good. Have another one. Sure. Yeah, that's still good. Okay, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. These are good. Are we going to make more? Yeah. Okay, those are woodcock, <laughs> and they're delicious. Right. He's like, they and, were they, hung. <laughs> and they weren't even gamey. No, no. Nope. They tasted like woodcock. Exactly like woodcock. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> like medium rare woodcock. Yeah. And not like overdone woodcock that was chucked into a pan and, and served to you with ketchup. Oh, man. <laughs> I I do actually. And, and one of the things I never bring out for guests is I have a, a bottle usually of A1 steak sauce. If I'm going to admit defeat, I will serve something with A1 and be like, I'm sorry. This is bad. And <laughs> right. here's, here's the ketchup, the steak sauce, the Worcestershire, and some hot mustard. You pick your poison. But uh, right. it's been very rare that I have to use those. But, uh, yeah, they're... You can sa- save that for the mergansers and buffleheads. <laughs> we freeze those whole. Those become uh, Labrador training birds. Right. They, they go to the HRC club. And we launch them out of catapults for the dogs to retrieve until they're, until they test your dog's force fetch. We'll put it that way. They there you go. Rough, but uh, or well, in a less in a less commonly known thing with uh, mergansers, I've just learned uh, hooded mergansers have a heck of a flank feather for um, streamers. So that's another good use for them. Oh yeah. Okay. So when I'm not in an ammo shortage, I may use a shell out of merganser. That yep. Until then, they're however. Good for that. <laughs> force fetch that one shell is worth more than that mercancer <laughs> fly True. away little buddy <laughs> good point oh, i'm not feeling the crunch yet but come the beginning of next season i'm gonna need another flat of number twos yeah order now order now and wait long <laughs> i know just just whatever the price is don't look swipe the cabela's card yep oh boy yeah uh. Now, speaking of fly tying, actually, let's take a first rabbit trail of the day. Now, on the side of a wood duck drake, mm. there's a feather in there, isn't there? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, lemon, lemon wood duck flank, fi- um, flank feathers, yeah. I mean, they, and it's like nothing that you're going to buy in any fly shop anywhere. If you can shoot them, um, you know, out of Woodrow Bottoms, or you can shoot them, you know, off a river somewhere or something. I mean, that is that is the real deal. It's not, you know, dyed mallard or anything like that. It's it's the real deal, and it's just variegated really nicely, and um, just great for wings, great for streamers. And, um, oh, so it's the yellow side of it then, just the. Yeah, they say, say yellow. Lemon. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a it's a light yellow. I mean, it's um, like that buff that's on the side of them. Yeah, it's it's the one with all the little stripes running through it. Um, I'm looking at one right, here on my wall. Yeah, so I actually am too. So if you were to lift up the wing and look underneath there, um, right where your, I guess where your armpit would be. Um, yeah, yeah. There's that. It's like yeah, it's a black vermiculation in a yeah, in yep. a, like a buff colored feather, and then at the end of those you have that black and white line, right? That big, yeah, and that bold that line. can be. Yeah, that can be really good for for streamers because it is a really bold line. But um, when you're talking about like, you know, wings for Hendrickson's or something like that, the the Mayfly wings are are just the one without the black line in it. Okay. Um, it's really good for tails on Mayflies and um, yeah, a lot, a lot going on with those feathers. But like I said, it's not the same thing that you're gonna buy uh, commercially in a in a bag for four or five bucks. I was also told that there's, because I'm looking at this one on my wall here, there's an orange, there's like three feathers on each side, maybe three at the most, that have a little orange trailing off them. Interesting. I I wasn't aware of that. I have some in a Ziploc bag here from this duck season. I did not shoot enough wood ducks to satisfy me. Um, And nowhere near enough geese, but uh, 
I did pull some of those feathers there, and I had heard that there was a, a certain fly or two for maybe steelhead. Now I'm kind of just spitballing at this one because it's been a while uh, since I was talking to that guy. But Interesting. I can't I confirm anyway. or deny that. There's a lot of things I don't know, so it could very well be true. Well, another thing that the, the wing shooters can do to help out the fly guys. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Good. And wood duck. Finest duck out there, I say. Ooh. certainly the prettiest and I'm roasted teal is the only thing that would challenge a wood duck okay I can I can go with that you're getting two for one size wise but oh goodness but you can shoot three or four at a time with those teal once they bunch up <laughs> yes. on the water and you let the kids shoot them go small with the shot right uh I'm not so sure I would anymore. I went with a nope. bunch of number sevens this year for teal season, and I, I got my six ducks. Um, they don't penetrate through. Yeah, I sure. I found a heck of a lot of number sevens while eating. Um, yeah. I think I'm going to go back to a three or four, hit them with okay. something a little bit big on the overkill end of things, and maybe two, two and three-quarter fours I think sure. might be my load. But uh, just to get those shot to go through and not onto my plate. That yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that's a that's a rude awakening when you chomp down on a piece of steel. Or you hear them tink into the side of your teeth because there's yeah. a feel to those shot pellets when they, oh, when yeah. they touch your enamel. Oh, yeah. And uh, you don't want to spit it out because, man, you, were, you waited all year long for duck season. And you're like, <laughs> no, I'm keeping this bite, I, but I need to find whatever that is that hit me. <laughs> right. As long as you don't get too aggressive and just put a crack right down through the middle, that's... Oh. Uh, yeah. Like it's expensive. Yeah, you start to gum your food a little bit. There. Yep. <laughs> but uh, are there feathers that you want off a of rough grouse? Yeah, they, there's same thing, kind of the shoulder um, feathers. They're really good for soft hackle flies. Um, there's The tail is really good for um, bread crust nymphs. Um, it's kind of a hard fly to tie, kind of kind of a tedious because you got to split that that tail feather in half. Um, but it does make a really um, realistic-looking caddis, um, kind of a nymph. Um, and uh, I don't I don't fish nymphs all that often, but it's one of the most appealing-looking nymphs in a natural sense. It's all it's all natural fibers, and it's and it's nice to be able to use feathers from grouse and woodcock. But um, my favorite, hands down, are just a standard soft tackle um, with grouse or woodcock. So I use it for for the tail and then also for the, the wing itself. Hmm. Great for trout, great for bluegill, depending on what size you tie them in. A um, little bead on it, usually a little bit of um, rabbit um, dubbing. Um, and then you can use whatever thread you want, you know, orange, yellow, green, purple, red. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Really, really great fly. Really great fly for kids, too. Um, if you're if you take your kids to a spot that say um, has some hatchery fish, you know, in it that, that are in that eight, eight inch size or so, you know, they don't have to worry about drag. Um, fish is going to hook itself. They don't have to worry about setting the hook or, you know, being premature on setting it or going too late typically is what happens. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> fish has had the fly for a while and the kid finally decides he's going to set the hook. Um, you yeah. know, just the drag on it's going to set the hook and, and set it really firm. Um, so yeah, it's, that's a real good one for kids. Good. Well, there's more things than I get to stuff in the Ziploc bag during the season. 
Exactly. I did save the tails. I have a big Tupperware full of tails. I didn't, I didn't fan them all out, but I had a huge variety of colors this last couple of years. And so we'll see. We'll see. I have them saved here for people that need them or, or want some, or I, I don't know why I just collected them, I guess. It's hard to throw those away because they just are so pretty, you know, and, and when you think of how much goes into each grouse that you bag, um, it really is difficult to throw those away. We even save the loose ones. Every now and then I get a retrieve where I go over there and I pick <laughs> up all the tail feathers. But uh, we've we've developed a tradition in camp especially that you drive through a cover and, you know, say you've hit one once or twice and somebody notices you're parked there, so they jump in the next day. And so then later on you see that they're still there. We keep a, keep a Ziploc or a pile of them near our dashboard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if it's not a I stater especially, we run over there to their car, jam one of those under the windshield wiper on the driver's side, like, hey, this is what they look like, guys. Jump oh, back in the truck, great. keep going. And, that's uh, great. We do it to each other, but, man, it sure is fun doing it to them Buckeyes. Yep. And, uh, you know, hey, we noticed you're here. Thanks for the donation <laughs> to our economy. Good luck in the field. And, uh, uh, be sure to visit the bar on the way out. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Take your picture at the gems, all those things, yeah. Yeah. Live it up, enjoy the countryside, go back to Cleveland or wherever you're from at the end of the week, and you can tell all your friends that didn't make it how good of a time you had. That's <laughs> yeah, great. But, <clears throat> do you, I was going to ask you, do you ever do anything, speaking of using the entire bird, do you ever do anything with stock? I haven't. Okay. I so that's that's I another should. one, yeah. To just dump all those carcasses in a in a bag and just freeze them, and then at the end of the year make a big pot of stock and just um, you know, put that in mason jars and use that for instead of your you know chicken stock or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's a whole new element of flavor. Break those bones up and just let them go all day in a stock pot with some vegetables and um, another good way to just use more of the bird. Mm -hmm. We started doing some of the stuff with legs. Yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten like this year. I had the the West Nile virus test kits, and so my carcasses all ended up at a check station the other day, uh, going to be sent to Lansing for testing and uh, you know doing my part to help the the scientific community. But yeah, there went there went six carcasses. Yeah, right. But, uh, and, was, and I hate to tell you, when you make stock out of those things, you won't be sending any of them in for research anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. What's, what's left of them, yeah. yeah there's, sure. Uh, and with the stock, I don't have a lot of storage space here. I know when you said mason jars, I'm like, ooh, I need a pantry, and I just don't have the square footage. Ah. But, uh, but you can turn around and use that stock immediately into a soup. You know, you sure you could. Same as we would yep. use with a leftover rotisserie chicken. Yeah, and you can put it in, in bags, like in Ziploc bags instead of mason mm. jars and put it in your freezer. That's That'll work, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, just keep it in, you know, two cups of stock or whatever you're going to, you know, put in there so that you know you got to break out three bags for a soup or whatever it is. And um, It's just a very rich, robust taste that you don't get from something store-bought. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot less salt in it, I'm sure, too. Oh, for sure, depending on how much you put in there, but yes. Mine mine will be similar to the store-bought. Yeah. <laughs> I, I Maybe I inherited it, but I have a, a family kind of affinity with salt. Mm. 
Hey. Someday I'll have the same health problems that uh, my dad has, I'm sure. <laughs> all from all from good living and good eating. And uh, But darn it, you'll be happy. <laughs> the only time I know he wasn't happy is when I was holding the flashlight and he was changing a starter or something like that, which oh, seems yeah. to be everybody's dad at the same time because I always seem sure. to shine the light in his eyes. Yep. Never never failed. But uh, no, It's a rite of passage, I think. I think it is. Yep. Um, uh, well, we'll segue with that one right into a rite of passage. Um, I have on here, and I know that this was this was when we traded some stuff. I had some primers you needed before before the ammo shortage really kicked in. Um, but you were doing some youth shooting lessons. Yeah, yeah. Um, my son and some of his friends um, really got into skeet shooting, and he. Um, you know, the, the ultimate goal was, you know, to garner some interest for one thing, because he didn't take to it right away. But then the other thing was I wanted to get him out, um, hunting and I didn't want to take him out there and, you know, just say, Hey, I know I've told you treat every weapon as if it were loaded and that kind of thing, but here you go, kid. Um, so I wanted to get some awareness and, and, you know, some, just, just some concept of lead and things like that. Um, so we, yeah, we hit the skeet range pretty hard. Um, we tried trap a couple of times. They didn't like trap near as much. Um, they got pretty good at skeet, but we started out at, um, is it seven that, that you can go under and it's going pretty much straight away from you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So we started out with that one and we just, we shot, um, we just went on days where there weren't a lot of people there. So we didn't have a lineup behind us and, and we, um, got them real confident with that where they were actually hitting them on, on low house seven and um from there we just progressed and and they started hitting them you know i mean all the way to the most extreme um i don't think they ever got one on eight um but that's a tough one you got to be quick on that that's a that's a trick shot too that's not the it same is. technique it's not even as the realistic the field. yes exactly it is realistic. it's a total trick well, I've, I've shot a lot of Station Eight grouse. That that's true. I guess it's not what you'd expect traditionally, though. Um, right. If if that's the one that they can't hit, I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> they wanted to try it just because they wanted to try it. But, um, and and I do appreciate you helping me out with those primers. I mean, that was a big uh, that that allowed us to keep going for a lot longer than we would have been able to go um because it, it really did get scarce there for a while oh, yeah. and now things are they're kind of back but they're a lot more expensive and um it's not totally back so yeah, i still haven't done anywhere near the shooting usually in the summers that i usually do but uh the trick on that station eight if it's a live bird don't shoot it while it's coming at you just turn around exactly. and turn exactly. it into a station one and just let it get out there and shoot it as it's trying to fly away. Yes. Um, if you can do it. A lot of people, yes. and including me, even with the three-shot gun, bang, bang, wait a minute, dummy, just turn around. Well, by then you're frustrated, you're you're totally mentally shot, that third shell's a waste, but you're going to yep. try it anyway. Yep. And I've had it plenty of times, too, where you turn around and you're looking at a buddy or you're looking at a tree or you're looking at, you know, whatever it is, some some impediment. Yeah. And uh, there's just no shot there. You thought there was going to be a shot, but you turn around and sure enough, there wasn't a shot. Yep. Um, but ideally, in a perfect world, that would be the way to do it. No doubt. Yeah. Now, with 
here's a question. I, I like skeeting, uh, and my boys, I didn't start them on Station 7, which eventually they ended up there anyway. <laughs> but I wondered, well, it got in their head a little bit. But I started them out on Station 1 and gave them that incomer because at the time we were trying to set them up for an incoming duck or an incoming goose. Sure. So a decoying shot would be an incoming bird with a lot of time, a lot, well, a lot of time to overthink it really is what yes. it turned into. Yes, um, exactly. That's what I was thinking. If they didn't overthink it, like the, when they got out there and they were completely green, um, they hit more than they missed. And then it got in yep. their head and then they went on these huge miss streaks. Um, yep. And so they eventually go over to station seven to build confidence my trouble with Station 7 as a skeet shooter is you touch the bead to the bird, hit the trigger, and all you did was teach them how to shoot a thirty out 6 Yeah, there was a lot of talk about disregard the barrel, disregard the bead, focus on the target. That's all you need to focus on, and don't shoulder the gun until you're ready to shoot. Like the this idea of that's that's what happened on station one incomer and then also station seven high house station seven too mm -hmm. like yeah you you see it out there and your gut reaction in the beginning is to shoulder and then just kind of try to ride the bird well that doesn't ever work right i mean maybe it works for some people it's never worked for me um but you know to to track the the bird and then mount the gun and shoot when it touches your your cheek then okay different story mm -hmm. so and i've I know both techniques because I like to shoot low gun, um, but before me learning low gun and being effective with it, and there's a lot of there's a lot of technique out there where you point the barrel on your shoulder, everything's right, call for the bird, ride it out, pass it, hit the trigger, and it works great. But at a certain point, you do have to teach the gun mount almost as much yeah. as anything else. Well, in this case, with my boys, they were still at the time eleven, now twelve it was just really tough to go to station seven without them trying the other ones first. And it, it was kind of funky and it was with a gun that doesn't have a rib. So there was no oh. good way to really just tell exactly what was going on. Um, and the trouble with youth guns is they kick like mules. Yeah. So interesting, interesting uh, concept on that. So what I ended up doing with that is I actually, I, I, chase my daughter off for a while with um starting her too early and the the concussion of of that going off especially when she was focused on the gun itself and, and things like that i didn't want to do that with my son so i loaded up um i, I got a, my 28 gauge and i got a youth stock for it so it's a super short thing i mean it's like probably 11 and a half inch length of pull maybe mm -hmm. um so real short and um it's light um, but because it's so light, like you said, it, it could recoil hard if you weren't careful with what you put in it. So I, I actually cut the, um, the payload in half. Um, I don't know what half of three quarters is, but you know, whatever that is, I poured out half of it and just filled it with Cheerios to yeah. start out. Yep. And that was like no recoil, no recoil whatsoever. Um, right. and then I, I lighter than a 410 at that point. You're lighter than a 410 for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just gradually increased the payload um, as we went on and they didn't even notice it. And then they were shooting just full three quarter ounce loads after that um, and, and didn't even think twice about it. Yeah. I had all sorts of fits 
started out with, I know the gun kicks because it what a youth Rossi weighs four or five pounds. I mean, yeah, really next to nothing. And they have enough arm strength, being the the size they are. I added a pound and a half of decoy weights to the stock, <laughs> and good weighed idea it too. right down and gave it some back balance. You know, it it didn't balance anywhere near the hinge pin anymore, which is just fine. It's that weight's in close to your arms. Um, and it makes the barrel move, I think, a little faster just because the way it's misbalanced at that point. Right. And then I use, I'm on the same thing. I use a 28-gauge payload, three-quarters of an ounce, and I think I'm down about 1,100 feet per second, somewhere in there. It's yep. a lightweight. It's enough to not cycle an auto anymore. Right. And uh, and they can shoot about 50 shells through that without any issues. Nice. And uh, Which is cool. But it's yeah. also expensive then because that's, that's still 100 rounds every time you go to the club. Oh, and then yeah. You're going to shoot another 50. Oh, and then yep. your wife shoots. There's another 50. And you're like, I'm in for eight boxes of shells. That every time up I quick, set foot on the it? range. And even on, yeah. even on reloads, I still got to pay f- six bucks a line. The kids are half price. I think they were three bucks plus yep. all the ammo cost. But uh, they just didn't, they didn't really flow into it well. I think they just got nervous. And so now we have a Mossberg with a rib, and uh, their Uncle Andy says, all right, we'll, we'll do one-on-one lessons and uh, bring them out any time. So i got to start nice. getting on that. Now that it's the off-season, here's your, yep, here's your two perfect boxes. perfect time for that. Yep. And he now coaches for Lowell. He's on, the, on the, the committee or whatever group of guys it is that coach the Lowell shooting team. So Perfect. He, yeah, it's a nice resource to have. Yeah. Yeah, he's went yeah, from I think, mostly hunter now to almost exclusively target shooter. But uh, yeah, either way, yeah, he'll, I think you, he'll you, still be responsible for a lot of dead birds. I think in the end, <laughs> even, sure. Even if he doesn't shoot them, right, right. Just passing it along that knowledge. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I think what you said too about um, where you're weighting that gun. Um, I think the. I mean, I like a barrel heavy gun myself. Um, in front of the hinge pin a bit, a bit to just slow me down. Mm. Um, but I think one of the worst things that I found, you know, through this trial and error process with kids is having one that's um, too much weight out front and it becomes very cumbersome, especially for uh, a kid who who's shorter, doesn't weigh as much, things mm-hmm. like that. And they, they find it to be a really cumbersome process. So we, we found a 28 gauge barrel that was um, 20 inches to go with this with this um yeah. wingmaster um and so it was about it, it would be terrible for an adult but i mean it, it was perfect for a kid size because it wasn't sticking way out there um and it was it was size you know appropriate to the length of pull too um the whole thing was just all the way scaled down so that worked out pretty well yeah. uh, but the, he found the 28 inch barrel to be way too long and and really really cumbersome Yep, I know women a lot of the times have that same issue. They just don't have the arm strength, and you hand them a gun that maybe just as, you know, they're not used to holding something up and out like that, and you watch their form go real bad. They get on their back foot, you know, so not only are they going to miss, but they're going to get punched with some recoil. And yep. it's all of a sudden you start to get a gun that fits, and you can watch somebody's confidence on the line, like, okay, where do your feet go? Oh, they go like this. Okay. Yep. yep. Is your weight in? Yeah, my weight's in. Are you comfortable? And they're, yes, yes, I'm comfortable. Yeah. But, you know, you're that much further along. Um, did you have to do anything with the comb height on that gun? 
No, um, no, that one was pretty good. It was sold as a youth stock. Uh, so I don't know okay. for whatever reason, it, it, it seemed to work out pretty well. Um, you know, we didn't um, pattern it per se, but I mean, like they were hitting clays and I was like, ah, good enough, you know, yeah, for right yep. now, plenty good. I'm not going to mess around with getting real exact with things. Um, yeah. But it was just, it was really a trial and error process, you know, between the shells, the stock, the barrel length, all that stuff together. Um, and we learned, we learned some things the hard way too. So I, I did learn the hard way. I was sitting there watching them and I try to get right behind their barrel. And I'm mm. watching these wads and I'm like, why is it that you're two feet high all the time? <laughs> and, uh, I eventually figured it out that what was happening was for some reason they were doing something with their head and I'm like, but, but consistently high tells me that something is consistently wrong. And, uh, so we came back here to the house and next thing you know, I'm like, okay, 20 times empty empty check the weapon okay yep we're definitely good okay now point it right at my finger bring it up to your shoulder and i'm looking at it going well that gun just don't that comb's wrong and so i ended up buying i had already bought one earlier but there's some foam shims that you can put like this neoprene stock boot around the stock well the boot would have wouldn't have fit right and it was already on a different gun but i had extra cheek shims and so I, it's a black plastic gun. So I grabbed black duct tape. There you go. <laughs> and uh, wrapped a couple pieces on there just enough. Okay, now checked it again. Yep, okay. That looks a lot better. Took them back to the club, and uh, it was amazing just what a little bit of tape and that, that foam shim does. But uh, Yeah, easy fixes. Oh, yeah. Easy uh, easy hardware, hardware store fixes. Yep. Yep. In fact, now with them getting bigger, I just sold that gun off to a guy with some young boys again with with that shim on there still. I left everything intact. Um, I think the weight is still in the stock even. So, you know, his kids are set to go. I'm, uh, I may make sure he gets some of my ammo too because his kids are like five and eight. So they're, Oh, yeah, that's young. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a twenty two barrel for it. So I think the first thing they're going to do, he's primarily a deer hunter, they're going to shoot the twenty two. Gotcha. And, uh, that that's good. But if there's a rabbit in the yard, you know they have a twenty gauge barrel, so right. hopefully things go well for them. But uh, that's that's kind of our way of passing it on around here. Is the well, there's not much of a choice actually in this house. You, <laughs> you have to go with your parents because they're both going. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And if they go out with Grampy and they want to be with him, they're probably going to end up running around with some beagles in the in the rec area so in yep. the end you're you're stuck being a sportsman any way you cut it <laughs> i love it but uh speaking of sportsman's clubs you're you have something i'm kind of jealous of and you happen to know somebody that i don't yet as well as have you met two different people here One's alive, one's dead. Have you, you, were you actually able to meet Gene Hill? Gosh, I wish I could say that I, I had, but no, no, oh. I, uh, I actually started getting into Gene Hill probably two years before he passed away. Um, I was late to the game, you know, but I mean, like, uh, you know, at that point I was probably late teens, um, when I was getting into that. And, uh, so that would have been mid nineties. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's uh, that's an unfortunate regret of my life. 
woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know? Yeah. Um, There's the, the capturing of, of a complex feeling. I have to, maybe that's a good way of putting it because of that's a great at, way of putting it. Yeah. Just, you're like, man, those, those words and how, how could I not think of that combination just to make that, that clear, you know, the reader knows exactly what's going on when he wrote it. Right. I, I don't want to misquote him, but um, Steve Smith has said before something to the effect of there was never an outdoor writer who could say so much in so few words. And, and it's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's... Because I have some of Steve's books here, the one he did with Gene, too. I have the... And I love it because it's such a sportsman's title, too. Out Was it Outdoor Yarns and Outright Lies? Yeah, so that's... Yeah, he's actually done several um, with Gene Hill. The the first one being Whispering Wings of Autumn. But, yeah, that that's one... That's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's, yeah, and that that is a perfect title for the outdoors. There's no doubt. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what we're doing tonight, right? Right, right. <laughs> There's well, much like I told uh, Julie Milati the other day, the the podcast that just came out uh, Tuesday. Um, I had to teach the kids that when the DNR has a fill out form that says, "Where did you shoot this grouse?" Hmm. You shouldn't lie, because the rest of the time. Yeah, you you can lie. It's okay. Just you know, that's how it how it goes, you know. But uh, in this case, you know, it's for science. You have to be truthful. When yeah, someone else tells, when someone else asks you where Dad shot this grouse, yeah, you tell him Ann Arbor. Yes, exactly. And and which we my group of uh, guys who hunt, um, we had a wild idea that it would be funny to create a PO box. Um, saying, hey, let us know, you know, like what you shot and where and, you know, send it to the DNR at this P.O. box and, and we'll we'll map the, you know, <laughs> that kind of a thing. And you get, you know, oh. 300 entries of people that send you their GPS coordinates to this P.O. box where they shot, you know, 10 grouse through the year and stuff like that. Oh, no. Uh, not you... that you'd ever do that, but it would be a funny concept. Well, you don't want the one where they shot 10 grouse. You want the one where they flushed 10 and shot one. True. Right. <laughs> that is true. That's all the gem spots. Well, <laughs> I, I will actually send people to gems. Those are, unfortunately, I will, will out a small little dirty secret. When Michigan did the gems, they took probably some of the nicest covers in our entire state. Oh, gosh. And dumped them on the internet. I, yeah. It, oh yeah. my goodness i couldn't you know part of me says you know okay well if if i truly believe in habitat the birds will be fine I, yeah we we don't we still go there a little bit and it still does produce birds um but my goodness i didn't quite think of the amount of traffic it could be right I walked through that, what I thought was a spot where no one would really go, and I realized that I'm walking on what wasn't a deer trail after all. That was a hunter trail. Somebody had walked into the woods hard enough in enough times that the hunters had made pathways. Yeah, many somebodies. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's crazy because, like, that's – I don't know if you remember the North Winds grouse maps. This was – now we're talking oh, yeah. a yeah. ways back, but that they, same thing happened. Around. 
Yeah, that that no no they're not. I don't think as relevant as far as um, there's so many other resources that you could use to do the same thing. But back mm-hmm. then it was like kind of the only thing, um, and that was there were a lot of spots that you were like not seeing people and all of a sudden you were seeing tons of people and yeah how did you how did you learn about this spot you ask them in the parking lot oh yeah north wind you know i got those north winds <laughs> dang it <laughs> yeah it that's a change really and maybe well i mean rabbit trails are awesome let's jump into that a second though what do you think and this is a total hypothesis on my part just from conversations because this has come up in conversation between north winds and the what three or four other resources plus uh the dnr's mi hunt yep are we getting to the point where when we if if and when we see an influx in hunters are we focusing pressure in a way where it will affect the resource that's kind of been a just a contemplation question really and that's a great, that's, that's one that we could ponder all night long. Um, everybody's going to have their different opinion on that. My opinion is that, yes, you can negatively affect the resource by sending too many people there. Now, the harder the hunting in that spot, the more multi-flora rows, the more green briar, the more, um, <laughs> you know, scrub, scrub oaks. Dogwood. Yep, yep, scrub <laughs> oaks that are yep. like face high, that kind of thing. The more of that kind of stuff there is the less likely people are going to be able to have an impact on it. But if you're talking easy, um, I, I have a spot that I'm thinking of in my mind right now that was just hot to trot back in the day. And um, it's easy walking Aspen stand with some pines in it, some oaks around it. And um, they got shot out. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just too easy for people to drive there. It was, it was close enough that a lot of people could drive there. And then once you got there, it wasn't that hard to walk it. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, I think that can definitely happen. Now, my other theory on it is, is I've seen this happen with brook trout, brook trout streams too. Um, it goes, it goes in rise and runs, um, rises and runs where, you know, the word gets out that it's great. People go and fish the heck out of it, especially, especially people fishing bait that are keeping, um, a lot of the fish or, or inadvertently killing the fish because say, you know, the, um, the fish swallows the hook and, and even if they were going to release it, it's going to die anyway. Um, you get people and then they tell their friends and they tell their family and you get a ton of people there. And then eventually it dies off to the point of people are like, yeah, that spot's kind of not any good anymore. And people stop going to it. And then that's where things start coming back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it might be good for a while until, until the word gets out that it's really good again. And then it gets flooded with people again and, you right. know, cycle starts all over. Yeah. I've, I've kind of thought about that, especially with grouse. I know with woodcock being migratory, we, we kind of gain and lose in a way where I think things even out. And with grouse further north, the dispersion happens. And even if you were to shoot a cover out completely, which it's going to be pretty tough to do, even if you pressure it to the point where it's vacant, you come come time for dispersal come time in the spring you're going to get those birds moving back around and i and i think you'll repopulate but the closer you get uh to where we are southern michigan that zone three yep if you go in there and you pound it a little hard and i mean i mean say some guys go in there that that do shoot well that do have other stuff going on at a certain point who's to say that a hard winter followed by a 
a rainstorm at the wrong time doesn't knock out your survivors and there's nothing to disperse back in. Or, or in our case, uh, a really marginal winter where they have no, where they have no ability to snow roost, which more, mm-hmm. more often than not happens here. I mean, now it seems like compared yeah. to when, when we were kids, you know, like you're getting three inches of soft snow and then it melts off with rain and you never get like, you know, 16, 18 inches of, of fluffy snow like you do up North. And um, yeah, exactly. I think, I think that you can, and that keyword you can eventually, rain. Oh, get a rain followed by a freeze. It doesn't care what time of winter it is, spring. Right. I mean, what was normally your survivors get to that point where maybe, you know, the, the focused pressure is going to change our regulations. Yep. It, it almost should, I think, at a certain point, just because the nature of our hunting seems to be evolving. You know, even I, I mean, I don't do it the old way. I'm in there with my, my smartphone and okay, cool. Well, if I don't have a North Winds or I don't have one of the other apps, I'm getting screenshots from a buddy going, while you're in there, look at these and report back. Okay, check. <laughs> sure. And well, and that's nice because then he, he gives me that heads up and then in turn I share the scouting back to him and we, we then call those covers ours. Sure. And then and then we we lie about it to everyone else. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but but everyone else has that resource or at least has it available. Um and I and I do wonder if that pressure does kind of get into the into the way maybe of how things used to be. I think it does. I don't think there's any substitute still even today for boots on the ground. Um and I do like the fact that um and this applies to fishing too. You can go one day and either somebody was in there before you or it just is an off day or what, whatever, um, and you don't find anything. And if you didn't know better, you'd write the spot off and say, I don't need to go back there again. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you really know the spot, again, be it hunting or fishing, if you really know the spot, then you can chalk it up to like, there's a ton of potential here. It just didn't pay off today. And I'll go back again. It might not pay off next time, but you know, Mm -hmm. the third time it probably will pay off. Um, and it's worth going back to. So I think about that a lot. And I think about people who go on a recommendation or, or maybe on, you know, an MI hunt thing or something, and they go on the, the one time and they, and they find it to be quote unquote barren and then they just don't go back. Um, that's another thing that, you know, Right. It's bound to happen to mm-hmm. a percentage of people. Part of the thing, though, too, at a certain point, you're going to walk in there saying, okay, I'm scouting, and I'm looking for any sign that should be good for me. And that day you could have you know, no flushes or two flushes over four hours, but you saw that the parking lot couldn't grow grass. There were that many trucks in there right. at some point, right. right? And you walk through, and on the way out, you've picked up over a dozen shotgun hulls. Okay. I've learned everything I need to know about this spot. Yep. I'll be back when deer season opens or when bow season is hot. You know, oh, I look, oh, there's a lot of hazel. Okay, late in the year, I'm coming back again. Just the things that you can look at and go, yeah, I, I didn't flush many right now. Right. Yep. You know, and, and you hope for survivors, but then again with grouse, I mean, the, the success of the day is really counted in how many you heard anyway, more than how many you actually bagged. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 So, so we'll get into some of the news here. 
the we, news. Ooh, the news. A hot topic. Hot, I, there's a new release coming. Mm. As far as new news goes, and uh, yes, sporting news. Thank God you're not talking about national news or something. Okay, good. You know, other than the <laughs> ammo shortage, I'm not going to get a whole lot into national news. Um, yes, good. But I'm a known, I'm a known bookaholic, right? Bibliophile, they call them. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and I have your first edition here of uh, the Long Branch Sportsman's Club, and I forgot the title, and I didn't. Uh, Northwest of someplace. Yep. Yep. And uh, and I've read some of those. If people want to see those on Stories with Swanky, but uh, I love that title. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get enough of it. It's great. <laughs> it's, it it really did just fall into my lap perfectly. <laughs> Um, so much alliteration it it was and it was and it will and it turned out to be everything i wanted it to be really you know (laughs) i made sure the camera faced me i grabbed a book i told people what i was reading and i stumbled through it you know until the until the bourbon or whatever i was kind of drinking loosened me up to the point where i didn't stutter or stammer much you know and then you nailed some good titles too i mean I, i call it a modest but quality library yeah oh yeah and uh, I actually, I, I feel bad because I finally picked up it. Maybe it isn't anyone else's Holy Grail book, but for the longest time, I couldn't find uh, Hunting the Sun by Lundrigan at a price How I was willing to that? pay. I know. It is an awesome book. And I think I found it for 60 bucks, and I couldn't get to my phone fast enough. No, it's that's that's the best of the three. There's no doubt. Um, they're all great, but it's the best of the three, and that was a good buy for sixty bucks for sure. Right, because I would suggest anybody buy that book for for under three digits. I yep. I I knew it was a Saturday when I saw the little catalog that comes to me, and uh, I'll give them a shameful shame shameful plug shameless plug. Callahan and <laughs> Company Booksellers is uh, where are they from here? New Hampshire. But, oh yeah. But anyway, I got it I think through Aid Books, but now that I'm on their mailing list, I get this catalog sent to me every month, maybe every other month, and fantastic titles in there. And if you don't want a really expensive one, there's a good quality one for one third the price usually yep. in there too. You know, that's my market estate. every time. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yep. I'm gonna read it, I'm gonna leave it, I'm gonna spill coffee on it, hopefully not, but but then again, as long as it's readable, I still value it as a book. But, right. Uh, yeah, Glenn Blackwood would call that a read reader copy. You know, something right. you take to bird camp. I've I have four dogs and two boys in this house. Right. There are no collectibles in this house. <laughs> yeah, you you hide those. I have a few collectibles, but they're all hidden. But yeah, yeah. yeah you need I, something that you can that you can get coffee or a little bourbon on and and be okay with it. Right. Anything collectible, I usually send to my dad because it'll end up on a shelf, and he has a a man eaters of Kuaman from Corbett. And it's a first edition Oof. with the fly leaf. And he looked at that and he's like, well, I mean, I can send this year. And he's like, and he stopped right about then. Send this year. <laughs> no, I'll go to the pawn shop and get you the other one. Yeah, exactly. I'm fine <laughs> with the pawn shop copy. You know, there's, yep. there's no cover on it. There's, it's not a first edition, you know, but I can read it. And if, and if yeah. something happens, I'm totally fine with taping the pages back in. Yep. Reads the same. You gotta have one that you can throw in your luggage for bird camp. There's no question. Otherwise, you got nothing to read in bird camp. Well, I take a book with me every year. I've never opened it. Uh yeah. I'm a guy who has to read for probably 20 minutes before bed every time. 
So I have a headlamp and the whole thing. I mean, I have really? to. It's just part of my, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no matter how tired I am, no matter how much we've had to drink that night or something, it's, you just, it, it's just part of what puts me to sleep, you know? I mean, I don't feel, I don't feel the same without it. I don't dream the same dream, so. <laughs> I put a book in every year. And it's usually a great title. I mean, I'll bring Burton Spiller up to Grouse Camp. You know, how, what could sure. be wor- what could be better, really, than sitting here, have a drink, have a phenomenal dinner, because we do dinner really well. I've seen it. Yeah. And then next thing you know, you're like, you know, no, I'm good. I, I got guns to clean. I got birds to clean. You know, there's some few chores to do. And then next thing you know, you're, you're back to conversation. And that yep. book doesn't get cracked open the whole week. I'm sitting there going, why did I carry this to the car? Why did I put it in here? Why did I use up the space? And you're like, because maybe. Yep. Yep. We're back to that one again. Yeah, you don't want to be caught with your pants down on that. I mean, think about if it rained all day, what would you do? I, I have a, I threw them away this year, actually. I go to Walmart and I buy a set of frog togs, the cheap $24 frog tog suit, pants, jacket. I hunt in the rain. I grab the Benelli, which <laughs> if I submerge it, I don't care. It can be muddy. It can be wet. It can snow on it. It can freeze. I can throw acid on it for all I care. It, it's just a tool. Mm-hmm. And we go hunt in the rain. And uh, and when it rips, because it will, I duct tape them back up, heat the duct tape up with a, with a, with a hair dryer, fold them back up, put them back in my gear. The next time it rains, I get them right back out again. And this year I finally <laughs> shredded it so bad I couldn't tape it back together. And I threw it in the back of Kaz's truck because we were in his truck. And he threw it away at the end of the week. <laughs> and uh, I finally wrecked us frog tog suit. But we hunt in the rain. Um, well, here's something to ponder while you're yeah. thinking about that now that you're getting into fishing with your kids. When you have a decent pair of waders and um, – they finally give up the ghost because eventually they always do mm-hmm. um, cut off the stocking feet of those things and wear them like bibs um, for hunting in the rain. And, and oh. they don't need to be, they don't need to be, you know, completely like submersible, but they'll be waterproof for rain for a lot longer than there will be stepping in waist deep water. Yeah. Um, and, but that's, that's, that's a pretty, uh, it's if you want to hunt in the rain, that's a good way to do it. I have a set of where did I get a max? Was it max? Either way, I have a set of breathables now that if they started to leak, I've been cutting the feet off waders for a while because I just thought paying the amount of money people pay for a rubber boot was absolutely stupid. Yep. So I have three or four pairs of rubber boots around here that are either Shannon's waders or my waders, which the boys now fit Shannon's waiter boots. And so now, oh, you need a pair of boots for the mud. Yeah, it's real tree on the top. Take these. Yep. And uh, yep. Well, now I have a reason now to save the leaky waders. You're saying? From yes. The top side. You got. You got to save those. Yeah. Yep. They're great. They're not quiet, but I mean, they're. <laughs> you end up as long as you don't move too fast. Because if you move too fast, you're going to sweat through them anyways. You might as well just get rain on yourself. But um, if you're if you're deliberate about it, then it's not a bad way to go. You know, especially in the breathables, that's actually a really, yeah. Huh. I wouldn't do it with my five mil neoprenes. That's insane. No, that'd be horrible. It would have to be the oh, breathable ones. Yeah. Yep. 
but it just seems like a shame to throw those things away after you spent, you know, 450 bucks on them or whatever. And they, they really don't last that long. Truthfully. Like if you're yeah, using them hard every year, they don't last that long. Yeah. Well, the, the better my dog's point, the less I duck hunt. Yeah. Well, there you go. And so now <laughs> who knows? Well, and then those, those used waders that leak are going to take up the spot where my pheasant and duck stock and stuff would be my grouse stock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back to the same closet space I've always had, which has been to the point where you can barely walk into it. it yeah. It's, it's like a hoarder, except that it's stuff you can use. Right. If if you can appreciate irony with that statement. <laughs> true, true story. That's, yeah. I think that's every, I think that's every sportsman's uh, lair. Right. So, so we've diverted off this topic twice. Now tell me about this. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the sequel book you have coming out. Yeah, yeah. So it's volume two, Lost mm-hmm. Branch, uh, Lost Lost Branch Sportsman's Club. So north northwest west of some place. This is um, another day of field, and um, I feel like it's a. I feel like it's better personally than volume one. I mean, um, it's the, the guys uh, that that write in that book. Um, great bunch of guys. Um, it's Greg Fry, Jake Smith, and Chris Smith. Um, really good dudes. I've known Jake and, and Chris for a while now. Um, Greg, I got to know through this process, but they, the two brothers had known him. And so they introduced him to me and, um, he's a phenomenal writer and, um, it's been, it's been just a treat getting to know him. So, um, just to collaborate on that. And, um, I, I mean, it's just been a lot of fun. So that that's coming out, um, shortly after Christmas here, I hope, you know, first or second week of, of January, Good, good, because I'm going to need a copy. Yeah, I'm definitely sending you a copy. Don't worry. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to order one, even if you weren't going to send me one. Too. Yeah, no, don't order one. I'll send you one. <laughs> I'll, I've, I've been meaning to get back to the stories with Swanky because I enjoyed sitting down, turning everything else off except for the Facebook Live and, and reading. Um and I know that this podcast won't come out in time for Christmas, but I'm going to, at least you'll know about it in the next day or two. I'm thinking tomorrow I'm going to read again. And I ordered a special book just for this one. Last year I did a slightly abridged version of A Christmas Carol. Oh, nice. And so that's going to pop up in my memories. And I did three nights in a row, closer to an hour each night. Nice. And uh, And I read... I I wish I had stayed true to the author. I broke one of my worst cardinal rules, and that is, I read what they wrote. Um, and in his case, I I didn't because the beginning, which is fantastic if you're reading, is not if you're just maybe listening. Okay. It well, it, it's Charles Dickens, so it's sure it's it's phenomenal description, but it goes on and on and on, and to sure. get through it in three sittings, I didn't. I didn't stay true to what he wrote, and it's it still bothers me. But I'm not going to reread it. Sure. At least out loud, I I will reread it because I love a Christmas Carol. It's one of the oh. few things about Christmas I just enjoy overall. Um, it's it's a great story, and especially when the Muppets, for a reason. when the Muppets do it. That's one of the few <laughs> movies I will sit through and love every second of. Um, oh yeah, I remember that from. I haven't seen that in forever, but I saw your post on it. I was like, "Huh." I, that's that's one of them. But I ordered a new book, 
and it's and it's by a good doctor here named Doctor Seuss. <laughs> so oh yeah. So I will probably tomorrow night. I'm going to read How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Nice. And uh, another classic. I will, and I may I may pair it up with something for the adults too, which. Ironically, I think the Dr. Seuss book is as much for adults as it is for kids, especially in today's day. Oh, but, without a doubt. But yeah, I may, I may dig through something in here and try to find a Christmas story for hunting. So purposes, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a suggestion. Have you have you gone through any Gene uh, Hill stuff? There's there's two in particular that I can think of um, that are excellent, and then there's another. Jerry Dennis has a really good one called The Christmas Gift. Okay, um, it's all about Jerry. Okay, so that one is uh, that one's all about um, him gifting a um, shotgun to his friend um, as a kid who doesn't have any money, and his dad passes away around Christmas, and he ends up giving him a shotgun, and they shoot a grouse um, for a Christmas dinner with it. That's a that's a pretty classic one too. Ooh, yeah, yeah, that is boy. I... Is there something about I, I would, being? Uh, I would make haste to the uh, library or or to oh. Glenn's shop and maybe pick it up. But the the oh. two that Gene Hill did too um, are are excellent. I wonder if that's in. I wonder which ones the Hills one are because I have some. Uh, I a hunter's know. fireside book has one of them. Okay, so I do have one then. Good. Yep, and I okay. think mostly Tail Feathers maybe has the other one. Oh boy. Might, I'd have to look. Might be a spending spree coming up. Yep. Money well spent. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so this book comes out and it's, what does it kind of cover? I know in the first one there was deer hunting, there was duck hunting. Um, was there any upland hunting in the first one? Yes. Um, and there is upland hunting in this one. It, it runs a broad range. It's not focused on, on just upland hunting or, or just fishing or anything like that. Right. But We call um, it versatile. Versatile, yes. Um, there's there's some stuff that doesn't, you know. I mean, it has a, a little to do with hunting and fishing, and not not a whole lot to do with hunting and fishing. So, um, <laughs> if it has something to do with a dog, or it has something to do with a gun, or um, there's there's a little something in there about um, an experience that I had um, on the job uh, related to hunting and fishing, and yeah. Um, Greg has some that appeared in um, Gray's Sporting Gray Sporting Journal recently. Um, so there, yeah, I mean, some good stories. Excellent. Chris has got a really good one about duck hunting. Um, that good. kind of a, a spot that he started duck hunting. So good. I look forward to that one. Yeah. Uh, well, all of them. All of them, really. Yeah. No, I, I'm really happy with it. So I, yeah, I hope you like it. I'm. I'm sure I will. Um, and I, I have some notes in here. We're already over an hour, but that doesn't mean a whole lot other than there's some numbers on my machine. But uh, you can always edit down, <laughs> edit down, or or we call it director's cut. Yeah, sure, fair enough. <laughs> we have a lazy director. There was there was nothing cut. <laughs> Perfect. I like that director. Yep. Yeah. Um. Now, now, part of this is 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 me being. As much a reader as I am, I write every now and then. I give Nick Green something to MUCC. Mm -hmm. um, when I get enough, when I when I get enough time to put a full thought onto paper, I can get an article out to him, 
and I struggle with something, and I know almost everyone else that doesn't probably, that's not probably true. I was going to say people who don't do this for a living struggle with this. And how do you get around, like, like say when you're describing an autumn scene, there's only so many words to describe the leaves, right? You're going to use mm-hmm. crimson, red, gold, yellow, and, and then you have to add stuff to it. And at the end, you're like, my goodness, yes, I sound like Gene Hill, but that's only because there's only so many words and he used them all the right way first. <laughs> and it's that combination, too. I mean, it's not even just the right words, but it's where you use them and how you use them. Um, I, I wish that I could say, yes, I sound like Gene Hill. I've never said that to myself. I thought, like, boy, I wish I sounded like Gene Hill, but that was as close as I got. I've, I've said that. Uh, same with same with uh what was it like Corey ford or lundrigan or any of these guys you're like there's only maybe a thousand good words here and how is it that you get a combination that i can't think of oh gosh it's yeah the magic of writing (laughs) it must be magic and i am not a magician at this point but uh, (laughs) i try i do i do and i do well and i do well enough um you know, to, to get something into the, the magazine here every now and then or, or something like that. But, uh, boy, yeah, you're, you're how quite, do you do your it? question. Yeah. So I always describe that as every moment that you get from that, especially at the age that we're at is a stolen moment. So, um, you steal them the same way you steal anything else. It's outside the parameters of, of what's legal. Okay. So like in, in writing, I would say like, it's when you wake up at four o'clock in the morning, you really have no good reason to be up at that time of day. Um, but that's the time that you have to write until the kids get up and until the day starts or until your job starts or whatever it is. Um, so you steal those two hours, um, or you stay up later than you have any reason to, to stay up. You know, you're going to hurt yourself the next day, but you got a really good idea that you that you just can't stop on and so you wind up staying up till one in the morning now me personally i i'm a lot more apt to get up early than stay up late um but either way you're stealing it from somewhere um and so depending on how dedicated you are to it i think is how much you're willing to steal from other things sleep free time um dishes that need to be done laundry that needs to be done yard that needs to be raked whatever it happens to be hopefully you're not stealing from um you know your kids or something that need no, need no, you to be at a sporting game or or something like that if they're but, awake there ain't no reading writing there and there's no yeah they, yeah they're they're the laws in town and there's no stealing to be done <laughs> <laughs> i i mean i i have really nice well-behaved kids that i can't quite call savages but i call them the lost boys all the time Oh yeah, and, and there is between a spaniel, a setter, a lab, and a short hair, and two twelve-year-old boys. You're not you're not going to sit in this house during daylight hours, and get a story written, with nope. with the thoughts flowing the way you think you want them. Um, right. But yeah, because cause life happens. Um, yep. <laughs> which is which I'm glad I have a real job where I don't write for a living. Right. Sorry. Oh gosh, that would be tough. <laughs> <laughs> but, but another another form of theft would be um kids are in school you burn half the day off 
and you stay home and write when when they're at school um you're stealing at that point from I'm you're not stealing from, from the season yeah we, uh, during the hunting season that would be bad policy but i mean like let, let's say it's right now or maybe like january you have days um, off left i actually just re-upped my days off like a week ago so um mine are gone till june Ooh, that's rough yeah, so you're not doing any stealing then, but I'll I'll be doing some stealing in, in you know, January, February. Um, snowy day, you decide you don't want to go into work. You decide you're just going to call in and, and take a vacation day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Kids are in school. That would be eight hours that you could do some serious writing at that point. Yeah, yeah. I've had some great ideas. The trouble is just the the fleshing it out, and then you sit down and you're like, well, man, I kind of sound like I did the last time. Yeah. And have you ever had that where you had a great idea at midnight and you wake up and you either forget it or you realize it was like the dumbest idea ever? I haven't had the dumbest idea ever, but I've had so many ideas that work and you're like, all right, I got to get this wrote down as soon as I get back to somewhere I can write it. Right. It's gone forever that's that's where the notebook on the phone is really nice because it's always right there (laughs) but i have had it where i've written it down and then looked at it in the morning and i thought that was the stupidest thing you ever thought of (laughs) sounded great at midnight though i bet i'm sure in the middle of a wire pull or something it probably does sound like a great idea and (laughs) you know and if i could stop right then and write two paragraphs just to kind of give myself what I need to remember and can keep going on. But I found that maybe it's the older I get, but I used to be able to focus and come back to it later on and focus. And lately Ooh. now, like I said, how, like how many movies can I sit through? There's probably five that I will sit through. Yeah. Total. Out of all the movies in the world, there's five I sit through and there's the Muppets die hard, a princess bride, and there's probably two that, of course, I'm not really thinking about, but I know there's probably two more out there. That's a raucous catalog right there. I'm I'm an eclectic sort of person. <laughs> and and we've already watched Die Hard, so I have Christmas. I am now in the Christmas spirit. I watched Hans Gruber fall off the Nakatomi building. Yep. Um, and I watched uh, Waldorf and Statler being Marley and Marley. I've, mm-hmm. I've gotten two of my favorites out of the way in the Christmas season. Um, the Princess Bride gets played every month anyway. But, yeah, there's <laughs> the, the trying to focus. Maybe it's me just getting older, but I think I think these, these podcast conversations are probably some of the longest I've focused on anything. And it's just <laughs> nothing but a rabbit trail filled wandering through somebody's mind sometimes, I think, now. But... You're able to focus in reading though, right? I mean, like when you read, when you read Rorick or something like that, it's not like you find yourself wandering, like in the middle of a chapter. You could set the house on fire. I wouldn't notice. Exactly. Yeah. Isn't that, that's the uncanny part of reading. So that's because I'm in Africa with Rorick and I have no idea what's going on in America. Right. True. (laughs) Sometimes that's a good thing. Yeah. Africa or, or with Capstick or any of these really, I mean, I'm trans, I'm literally transported away. Yep. And, uh, and and then Shannon asks me, "What do I think about something?" And I'm, I'm still in Africa. 
Uh, and she looks at me like, I can't believe you would do that. And I'm like, you were the same way. Yeah, it's it's the great escape of writing. You know, I mean, it, it's a vacation from reality. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I get to, I get to hunt with all of these, we call them legends now. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of one of those things. And part of part of the stories I was reading is how many of these authors were dead. I mean, almost all of them, right? I could read Corbett. He's been he's gone a long time. Rose oh, yeah. gone. Hemingway's gone. Uh, yep. Rourke's been gone. Capstick's gone. Uh, Lundrigan is recently gone. Uh, Macintosh yep. is recently gone. Hill's gone a while. You know, and then I'm like, so then who do I have to read that's actually alive? Yeah. No, I know. And I know. And it's I a see, little sobering, isn't it? I have, I have you guys. I have... Uh, I have some Tom Carney, um, Steve Smith, Steve Smith, but a lot of, his, I mean, his stuff goes back to the eighties and I yep. know, I mean, not to, not to knock on wood or anything. Um, him and Ben Williams are kind of like the last two of a, of an era maybe that I have at least in my library. Sure. Um, and I, and I know Ben is very old now too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking through these, going, man. I've got more guys that are over 100, 150 years old, going back yep. to like Rutledge and uh, yep. Buckingham. You know, and I'm like, okay, so who's who's picking this up next? Which is which is awesome for you guys uh, doing the the Lost Branch Sportsman's Club. You guys have, yeah, and you're relatively young. You know, I get Ooh, to I get to doesn't read always guys feel that, like it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't feel like it much either sometimes now. <laughs> but uh, I got a construction body. I'll be I'll be active and it'll hurt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, sounds like a cop body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same same injuries. You're either sitting all day or you got up and moved. And yeah. Neither right. one was really smart, but that's violently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I think what did me this last time is I had 16 hours of additional windshield time one week and my hips not been right in the last three since. And yeah, I, that's a trip to the chiropractor for sure. And I think the only thing it was, was, and it's not like I have a fat wallet cause I, I make my bills, but, uh, I, I'm not getting rich over here working. <laughs> I think I just sat on my wallet wrong on one of these, one of these rides and it was enough to tweak whatever's there. That'll do it. I'm like, really? It's I've... sad sad to say that we're so fragile that that will do it, but it will. But you can march me through 10 miles up in the up in the UP and camp, and I come back feeling tired and absolutely fabulous. Yep. <laughs> yep, different kind of tired. <laughs> right, right, and that's then do it the, all again uh, the next the old, day. Yeah, that's the old school tired. What you're talking about with the windshield time is like – is like the, the the new form of tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were tired because you sat at a desk. You were tired because you sat in a vehicle for too long. You were tired because you <laughs> torque something after being sedentary for three hours. You know, yeah, yep. it's just a sad state of affairs. But it's it is what it is. Yeah, we uh, yeah, I never have that problem though when I drive across the bridge. Nope. <laughs> strange how that works yeah yeah in fact i'm probably due for another trip that would probably cure a lot of my health ailments yeah yep 
but uh, you know, there's not. <laughs> do you much. ever do you ever read Macquarie? I do, I do. I don't read a lot of it out loud, and I love I love the writing. Um, it's just a tough out loud read. Audience Boy. audience wise, it's hard. And, and the neat part about being live is you can see who's watching and listening. Sure. And it's like, it's just, I don't know if it's too many words or it takes too long to get to a point. But it's fabulous reading. It's not fabulous out loud reading. Um, the one thing I would say is if you've ever listened to the audio version of those stories, it's it's impressive. Have you ever heard it? No, I haven't. It's amazing. It's it's absolutely amazing. But where I was going with that was um, Man Tired is a great one um, by Macquarie, if you haven't read it, about basically those same things, about about the work world getting you down and tired and, and out of sorts. And then when you go hunting, um, you know, how rejuvenated you are and, and it, just basically what you said about going across the bridge. You know, I mean, it more or less, that's the that's the moral of the story. Right. Um, but it's worth a read. Ooh. So in addition to volume two, I'm going to have to send you uh, copies of the, the auditory reading of those stories. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, there's a Facebook friend, Nate Spaulding, who is over in, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. Sorry, Nate. I think he's in Maine. And he read nervous breakdown, Uh huh. which is kind of that same similar thing. The guy, in the, the banking world, I need an adventure. I'm just going to go. And he, he does. And along the way, you know, bad stuff happens, good stuff happens. And in the end, you know, they, they assume he's lost and gone. Some float plane pilot finds him. And, uh, and it turns out that the guy has, has lost a pile of weight. He's in the best shape of his life. He feels great. He's been eating fish out of these, these rivers <laughs> and lakes. He's in the middle of nowhere. And the guy says, Man, everyone's worried. You you missed your check-in times. Where's your moat? I mean, what? You don't need rescued though. And the guy goes, "No." And and I'll be back when I'm good and ready. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. So Macquarie's got a number of them like that. That that central yeah. theme, which is it, it's very true to life. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's there is there is that nice thing about we we have a week long camp and it's there's so many things in this library that reflect so much on our seasons, you know, by the, by the end of the week, you're like, man, you know, I was sore the first day, the end of the week, you don't really feel that sore. You're like, man, this right. is awesome. You know, yep. and, and same thing with those Macquarie things, you know, the guy starts mm-hmm. out with, man, I got to carry the canoe yeah, and right. my food and, and my, that's like four trips. Well, in the end, you know, he's thrown away all the excess stuff. It didn't really matter. And he's yep. like, I can do this in one trip. I'll get across yep. to the next lake. And and by the end of camp, that's the way you feel. And at the same time, then, you switch over to a guy like Rourke, who's writing in Horn of the Hunter, where, and he describes it so well in there, like, they know the safari's coming to an end, and by Wednesday of bird camp, you're starting to feel that exact same thing. You're like, oh, man, terrible I've, feeling. I've, I've went through more camp than I have left. Yeah, and and I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a dread, but there is this looming cloud over you that's Saturday or Sunday. That's the day you leave, and it just gets closer and closer and closer. And the way he writes it in that book, you're sitting there in that safari tent with him, going, 
this is stupid. I don't want this safari to end any more than you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it translates into everything we do in the season, you know, that, that season closing date for Woodcock now is, is the 29th of October and you mm-hmm. can watch it getting closer yep. and, and you know that your, your time is slowly fading away and your vacation time is being eaten up and gone. And the way some people have with words, when it comes to that, it's, it's, a it's almost miraculous that it goes on the page the way it does. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's a metaphor for life, really. I mean, like, you get to that point in your life where you realize, oh, I have more behind me than I do in front of me. And you start seeing the same kind of thing. Things, you know, you never know when that day is coming. And, you don't, you know, everybody thinks they're going to get 85 years now or something like that. But there's no guarantees. And, yeah. you know, that that uh, it, yeah. those the idea that that, like, you know, it could be 10 days, it could be 10 years, it could be 40 years, who knows, but you know that it's more behind than it is in front of you. That's that little sobering. Mm-hmm. And it, it changed the way, well, I'm, I'm 42 now, so I can, I can very realistically say that I've used up the first half of my lifespan, and, uh, and I have a manager at work that bow hunts uh, a lot, and we are of the exact same opinion. Okay, it's, you've done a lot of screwing around and now what do you want? Well, I want to hunt. Okay. Well, we'll get the work done and you send that slip to my desk and it just gets approved, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the work gets done and I'm hunting and everyone's happy, but we're not at that point. Yeah. Where I look at where I'm at. Okay. And my love of cream sauces and stuff like that. I probably don't have 85 years. I'm, <laughs> I mean, same as my dad. You know what? If I have one massive coronary in the woods and you discover my dog and my gun, good. Take the dog and the gun. I'm fine where I'm at. Don't touch me. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? You know, I'm going to do what I love. But then you shrink that down into the microcosm of I have a a now soon to be eight-year-old bird dog who is silvering out in the muzzle. Mm -hmm. As a dog owner, we look at our dog and go, and your your best years are behind you. Your peak is gone now. You know you're well into your decline. Ah, it sucks, doesn't and, it? And you're looking at it going, you know, I could take four unpaid days over the course of October. You know what? Just just screw it. We're going you're right. And and I've gotten out of the point where my unpaid days have been a little detrimental to my adult responsibilities. But <laughs> at the same time, you know what? I yeah, it's time to point this truck north. And, and we're going to go and, you know, and if, and if the seasons then are all closed, you look over at the preserve and it's like, well, you want to pay that much for a bird? Yeah. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. I'll pay it. Right. You know, I'm going to get well, out again. I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring the kids along. I've, I've got this dog that I've been feeding for eight years. That's turned into my not only family pet, but he's really a part of the family. Absolutely. 25 right. bucks a bird that's it sure why not right small price to pay yeah and then you think you think this is what i always tell people too when they you know you get the option to take extra time whatever that you know whatever they call it by you like overtime or whatever it is as Mm -hmm. as comp time or or as payment you know and um i always tell people this you know it's like no one on their deathbed ever wants more money 
they always want more time, <laughs> you know, and it's like, what is worth more to you? You're going to have to take a cut somewhere. Um, but I always go with the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I don't want to get to the end anyway and go, man, I wish I'd have lived a little more. Yep. I'm going to, I've already come to the realization that there's only so much I can pass on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a very expensive, very wore out gun mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and a legacy of, we didn't really work in October. Yep. And never, hopefully I, you know, I do enough to keep one customer happy, <laughs> which is only like a day or two a week other than it's bird camp. So you don't get that week. Just right. It's not negotiable. I mean, I sell my time to you except for that week. It's not for sale. And right. And at the same time though, you know, Hey, July comes around. We need extra time. Yeah, baby. Let's sell some time, you know? Yep. And, and I'll take that money and just stick it somewhere for October. Right. And, and those are the deals I think we all make in life. But in the end, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the conservation work we do, you can't take it with you. you got to do it. You know, the, the heritage and legacy, I like to use those words as well as a lot of other ones that, that do that. So that's kind of what the podcast is for anyway. All those things that we put together um, during our lifetime goes into those things. And if, and if watching the time expire, you know, I'm in the third, say it's the third quarter of my life, all right you got to play with a little more urgency now. Mm-hmm. And, and so sure enough, we're going to do some things that matter um, and, and make a difference where we can. Yep. And that's, you know, and it, it's such a metaphor for what we do, right? You look at the, at, at the dog's lifespan you have in front of you and you say, okay, you're going to peak at six and you're going to retire yep. at about probably 10, 11 from, yep. from more or less any, you, we call it usefulness. Sure, um, but at at eleven or so, most most dogs are done. Even short hairs, that's the worse they are, the more they live forever. But the <laughs> the one I have, he's he's aging, he's aging right into a fine bird dog, um, and and you're looking at him going every year. I'm going to get less out of you because that's all you have left to give. Right. In the meantime, you know you're like, oh well, crap. That's all you've got to give, but uh looking at ourselves and looking at what we leave behind us, those are all things that, you know, there, there should be urgency there. Um, looking at my library though, there's a huge example of people that were already in that situation and left a lot of value behind. Yep. You know, I, I got, uh, you know, everyone really likes to tout Sand, Sand County Almanac. Um, oh yeah. From Leopold. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, and it's and I like to argue with him in my mind a lot only because I think he was right enough. <laughs> and sure. And I and I think the things that well like he he projects into the future really well. Yeah. And I think that those futures were in the 80s and 90s. And yeah. I'm like but but you didn't see 2020. Yep. And and the the truths are all still there, you know, and the you know whether it's whether it's gene and and pulling this emotion from what we what we do as hunters and leaving it there on the page for for everybody to see you know Leopold and and his conservation ethic 
you know, it, it's up to us now as we hit that, that second half, what can we do to continue that? And I think that's, right. I mean, that, that's the greater picture over the bag limits and over all the, all the other stuff that maybe is more temporal. Yep. Agreed. Well, we've had a sober conversation here in bird camp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, this is actually really what, this is the kind of conversation you actually have sometimes. In oh, a, all the time. In a bird camp. This is, yep. you know, you know, usually you have more people involved, but, uh, yeah, it does come down to these things that are that are timeless, the intangible. It's kind of where we started our conversation with um, the things being more than the bird, you know, being able to, now that we're further in life, seeing, seeing the vista in front of us when we start our walk and, mm-hmm. and taking just that two or three seconds to enjoy it is, is really kind of part of part of the legacy we leave is the way we teach to enjoy the vista yep but uh easy to overlook when you're 20 (laughs) i don't think i remember a sunrise from when i was 20 (laughs) i remember freezing my feet in a deer blind yep i don't yeah oh if i if i could have that money back though (laughs) and the time the time true if i could have my wisdom in that body <laughs> now i was fat then too but <laughs> boy yeah, yeah the energy like... level the the free time the lack of responsibilities yes. all yes. squandered <laughs> <laughs> you know they, they they actually do say that youth is squandered on the young isn't it they How do they're wasted dead right about that yep I, uh, not to mention yeah the I had a lot of fun squandering my youth. <laughs> now that I'm older hey. and wiser. And you know you would have done some things differently, but now you can't. So I would have been smarter with my money. And <laughs> I'm not going to say that I wouldn't have made some mistakes worse. <laughs> yes, you would have. Oh, I admit, I probably would have voluntarily made them worse which of oh boy <laughs> that's not a recordable part of this podcast we're not gonna be... <laughs> my mistakes have been epic but uh... <laughs> but yeah uh... but uh yeah we talk about our mistakes too that's yep. part of it but uh Fallible. i look forward to it though it's it's you used the same what north northwest of some place again volume two Yep. Excellent. Yep. Another day of field. Yep. Another day of field. Well, I look forward to it again. And uh, I'm glad that you guys are carrying this on. I don't, again, I don't, maybe it's just me, but I don't see a lot of live authors in my library. Um, it would just kind of a shame. It is. I agree with you. Yep. And, and some of them, it's, I wonder if we're past our golden age. Ah, oh, boy. Everybody said that at one point in their life. I guarantee it. Whether it's been music or whether it's been 
art or whether it's been oh, we writing, know, whatever. We know arts, art and music have well passed their gold days. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I listened yes. to it once. <laughs> in in our in our age range, you're exactly right. But I mean, like, you know, especially music. I mean, that's that's the worst example of it. Oh goodness. Um, but I think everybody, every generation has said that. So yeah, yeah. I really think that's true. And every generation is worried about the future. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, that is that is really the human condition. It is. Think about World War II. Think about 1944. You don't think that people were worried about the future at that point? I bet they were scared as hell. <laughs> oh, yeah. They were thinking that the world was coming to an end. You don't think parents were worried in 1968 of what their kids were getting into with rock and roll and drugs and all kinds I, of I know those Rolling Stones were a horrible influence. Exactly. But gosh, I loved listening to them. <laughs> you know they're almost pretty tame now. It's like, you know, oh, exactly. no no no, those kids can listen to classic rock. Yeah. And then you realize that the Beastie Boys are also now classic rock. Exactly. And I was like, boy, actually kid rock is nearly classic now. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go as far as classic, but it's at least old enough. <laughs> it's, it's old enough to qualify, because I remember sneaking one of those CDs into the house when I was in high school. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every every teenager, every teenager oh. has snuck something into the house, probably snuck something out of the house. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, we, we turned out all right, though. Yeah, at least you did. Well, considering I'm a bibliophile with a one-track mind that really considers bird hunting to be the the epicenter of human fulfillment i'm not sure i turned out right but man i'm not changing either <laughs> right and, too and, late now yeah i mean we we started out comparing what bourbons we were drinking which my mother would not approve <laughs> i may or may not have turned out right but well <laughs> Hey, as long as it's not to excess most of the time. I, my financial situation with four dogs and two preteen boys. Oh, ruined. excess is not part of my drinking vocabulary. Right. Budget, budget sparingly and sobriety describes a lot yes. of my drinking now. Yes, exactly. Pour yeah. yourself another glass of Old Crow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I will re I will brew up a cup of tea before I drink Old Crow. Yeah, good policy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> on that note, this is probably a classic bird camp conversation. Um, we wandered all over, and oh, we did. That's perfect. That yep. absolutely is. So, I'll uh, I'll wrap us up, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you for listening to the Bird Camp Podcast. Our guest is John Osborne. He is a living author for hopefully a very long time carrying on a tradition of uh, people he probably doesn't think he's carrying on the tradition for. And uh, looking forward to his new book coming out just after Christmas, Northwest of Someplace Volume 2 from the Lost Branch Sportsman's Club. And I encourage everyone to get the first one. Read it before the second one gets to your door, as well as consider many of these intangibles, the way we think about our lives, our silver-muzzled old veteran dogs, 
and our friends that we take afield. And thank you for listening.